0: Hi, and welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. This is a sermon recording taken from one of our regular church services. You can find out more about us, as well as more recordings like this one, on our website, yoakinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. Now, think back to when you were a kid
1: Uh, did your mum and dad ever promise you something like a you know are we going on a fishing trip or a football game or I'm going to get you a present and then they failed to deliver and how would that make you feel did they ever tell you or you need to wait until your birthday or you know Christmas is coming so you better be on your best behavior until then and did that affect your behavior did you behave with anticipation of Christmas See, Peter is writing to a group of people who are starting to get impatient. And it's a bit ironic, really, because these people had waited thousands of years for the coming of the Messiah. And here we are, only 30 or 35 years after his resurrection, and they're already getting impatient, saying, why hasn't he come back yet? And so they're worried that he might never return. And false teachers are getting into the church and they're starting to um, take advantage of this alleged delay that God is putting and infiltrating the church. And they're trying to tell people that the words of the apostles and the words of Jesus were not actually what they were. You know, you didn't hear what you heard. You didn't really read what you read. Because Jesus was just talking spiritually. You know, there's no actual return of Jesus happening. There's no actual judgment by God. And because of that, we can live however we want. We can do whatever we like. And, of course, that makes sense. If, if Jesus is not returning and God is never going to judge us, then there's no need for us to behave as though that's the truth, is it? We just, oh, we'll just live however we like And so therefore we can ignore all those parts of Scripture that talk about the return of Christ. We can ignore all those uncomfortable bits of Scripture that talk about a coming judgment and we can chop all of them out of the Bible. And it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy for us to cut little bits out of the Bible that we don't like. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Oh, I won't do that one. Oh, I don't like the way this one looks. I'll put that aside. But Peter instead urges us to have a high view of Scripture. Peter wants us to accept all of God's words from the opening chapters of Genesis right through the law of Moses through the prophets onto Christ and his apostles and we can't just pick and choose the bits and pieces that we like and discard the bits that don't make us comfortable and we certainly can't do that if our motives are false and that is the situation that Peter is addressing in this third chapter Of his second letter today so if you want to put a finger in your Bible into 2nd Peter chapter 3 that's where we're up to at the moment now we spent a bit of time last week talking about the motives of the false prophets you know Peter tells us that all they're after is the satisfaction of their own desires they you know they're after money and sex and power And so they twist God's word in order to lead people astray so that people will start to follow them and they will have some sort of power over them and they'll be able to start raking in the dollars. By contrast, a true prophet does the opposite of that. A true prophet points people back to what God has said in his word. He doesn't say, hey, I've got something brand new, listen to me. A true prophet says, no, no, look at what God has said. This is the truth you need to follow. And you need to put it into action. And so Peter is a bit like a prophet here when he says, remember what you've been taught in the past. He points people back to scripture and urges them to put them into practice. And so at the beginning of this chapter, he starts with, my dear family, this is now the second time I'm writing you a letter. Your motives are pure, and what I'm trying to do in reminding you is to stir them into action so that you will remember the words spoken earlier by the holy prophets and by the command of the Lord and Savior which you receive from your apostles. See in contrast to the false prophets and false teachers, Peter says, look, I know you've got pure motives. It's possible for us to be led astray by false teaching. That doesn't mean we've fallen away from God or we've become hypocrites or we've become heretics. It just means we're in error. And being wrong is not the end of the world. Being wrong is part of the human condition. Peter's solution is for them to stop and look back at what they've taught. Remember and trust what God has already revealed to you. So, for instance, in his previous letter, he'd said to them, I will always remind you of these things, even though you already know them and you're firmly established in the truth, I think it's right to refresh your memory. So, last week, for instance, we spoke about exercising the biblical gift of prophecy. And that all of us are partakers of the divine nature. All of us have the Holy Spirit within us. Each of us has the ability to hear from God. But everything that a person says to you, that a person claims to come from God, must be consistent with his word. It is very easy for YouTube preachers to make wild claims and make radical predictions. But the test is always, is this consistent with what has already been revealed in God's Word? Because God's Word is truth. Anything you read in a book, anything you watch online, anything you hear from this pulpit should never contradict God's revealed Word. That's the first part. Now Peter starts to get to the heart of this false teaching and where it leads to. Um, So before we do that, I want to refresh what we know about the kingdom of God. Um, So as you can see from this little diagram up here, we have two ages of the world that are talked about in Scripture, the present age and the age that is to come. right. So we look at this, this present age and this is the age where there is sin. This is the age where there is suffering. And the, and the age to come is the age where Jesus rules, where there is complete peace and harmony. You know, the scriptures that talk about the lion laying down with the lamb and it and the, and the, talks about this eternity in the presence of God. And so this age, this coming age began with the coming of Christ. That's when it began. So Jesus went around with his preaching saying, the kingdom of God is here. But the kingdom of God is not completely here in all its fullness until Jesus returns. And so we are now currently living in like this overlap period. This period between the kingdom of God is already here, and yes, we can experience the spirit of God. Yes, we can have healing and so forth, but the kingdom of God is not yet here in all its fullness when everything will be perfect, and we're living in that in-between period, and that's why Peter talks about how he preached on the day of Pentecost and I'll just refresh our memory of what he preached on the day of Pentecost. The the Holy Spirit came down, it filled the disciples, the disciples spoke in tongues and spoke to different people of different nationalities and Peter got up and said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and wonders in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke and so forth. The thing that prophecy is doing in this case is it's showing us a glimpse of what has already happened but also what is still yet to happen. And so Peter can say, yeah, yeah, the kingdom of God is here. This, is, this prophecy is being fulfilled. You're seeing it right now. But there are elements of that prophecy that we're still looking forward to. There's still more to come. There's still more to hope for. There's still more to look at and go, oh, the glorious future that God has for us. And the thing that gives us confidence that everything God promises us for the future is actually going to happen is the fact that everything God promised in the past has actually happened. He has always been good to his word. Nothing God has ever said has not happened. And so when we look to the future and we see the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, we can have confidence that they will. But the deceivers were doing something else. This is what the deceivers were doing in his church. We pick it up from verse 3. First you must know this, deceivers will come in the last days with deceitful ways behaving according to their own desires and this is what they will say, where is the promise of his royal arrival? Ever since the previous generation died, everything's continued just as it has from the beginning of creation but they're willingly overlooking something, we'll get on to that next. See, here is the essence of the false teaching. Jesus is not coming back. We cannot trust those prophecies. It's been 35 years since his resurrection and nothing's happened. So where is he? He's not fulfilling his word. And then they say the world has gone on since the beginning of creation, year after year, century after century. Nothing changes and it's just going to go on like that forever. What we see now is all there is we don't have any second coming to look forward to we don't have any future judgment to look forward to this is it what you see is what you get but peter makes some important points when he talks about these guys the first thing he does he describes them as deceivers see he's not saying that they don't know the truth he's not saying that oh they just they just haven't read god's word yet they know They know exactly what's in there. They just don't like what it says. And they're not preaching nonsense because they've got some kind of new revelation from God. They're preaching this nonsense because they think it'll benefit them. We talked about the prophet Balaam last week, you know, and how he spoke the words of God. He knew God's words. He saw the angel of God in person. And still he chose, he chose to go against that because he wanted the money that the king was going to pay him. And so these people only care about their own lusts. In order to gain the fame and the money and the power they seek, they need to convince others. And so Peter calls them deceivers. I mean, after all, if there's no judgment coming, we can live however we want. And so what they've done is they've taken Paul's teaching about freedom in Christ and they've twisted it to their own ends. Here's what they willingly overlook. They willingly overlook this one thing. The ancient heavens and earth were formed out of water and through water by God's word. And it was by the flooding of the world at that time with water that it was destroyed. The heavens and the earth that we now have are being preserved for fire by that same word, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the wicked. So there are many flaws in there, the false teachers, right? But Peter just focuses on one thing that they are deliberately overlooking. And that's where this morning's reading comes in. Peter reminds them that God has in fact past judgment on the world in the past God has shown from the book of Genesis that he will deal with sin so for instance if we go back at the passages that these guys have obviously cut out of their Bible we'll see that in Genesis 3 mankind is judged for choosing to follow the serpent's words instead of God's and the first humans were cast out of the garden over the next centuries sin grew until the earth was just full of evil and in Genesis 6, we, re, we read this morning how God judged the earth by flood. So, the argument that nothing has ever changed, that the world has just gone on forever and God's never dealt with sin, is obviously false and they all know it. As we move in forward in Scripture, we see God's people constantly wavering between following God and following other so-called gods. And so, God sent his prophets to remind them constantly, come on, this is what God's Word says. You know what it says. Just stick to it. And God constantly had to judge them. And throughout the prophets, we read those warnings until eventually the entire nation was sent into exile and almost wiped out. And of course, eventually, we come to Christ. God showed through Christ that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to deal with sin. And so in his previous letter, Peter said that he, Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sin and live for righteousness, and by his wounds we are made whole. So where do these people get the impression that God doesn't deal with sin? Where do they get the impression that God put the world into motion and nothing has ever changed ever since? They certainly don't find that notion in Scripture unless you choose to cut out all the bits that you don't like. But if you embrace all of Scripture, you read about a God, a holy God, who deals with sin but also a loving God who chooses to deal with sin in a way that costs him in the death of his own son. And this section also reminds us that when God speaks, things happen. God judges by his word. Uh, And so in uh, Hebrews we read that God's word is alive and active Peter reminds us that just by speaking a word, God created the universe. By another word, he unleashed global judgment. And in the future, by speaking a word, the world will come to an end. God's word is not just reliable, it is powerful. Next, Peter goes on to address there. Foolish teaching by talking about the patience of God. And so he says, look, beloved, don't forget this one thing. A single day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not delaying his promise in the way that some of these people reckon it. Instead, he is very patient towards you. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. Rather, he wants everyone to arrive at repentance but the Lord's day will come like a thief and on that day the heavens will pass away with a rushing sound the elements will be dissolved in fire in the earth and all its works will be disclosed Um, this passage is not a mathematical miracle formula where you can use you know a thousand years to a day to somehow work out when the world came into being and when the world will end it's not that It's just a statement that God does not see time the way that we see time. Um, When Gandalf the Grey uh, entered Hobbiton for Bilbo's 111st birthday, um, Frodo teased him that he was late. And Gandalf replied, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. You know, we live such short lives, you know, less than 100 years, that to us, a week waiting for Christmas seems like an eternity. But God is eternal. God doesn't get bored. God doesn't need to act in a hurry. You know, God isn't surprised by events and goes, oh, I better suddenly act and do something here. God's got everything in control. God will work things out in his time, not our time. Jesus will return precisely when he means to. So the main point here is about that word patience. Everyone reading this letter knew the story of Noah and Peter and Jude have already alluded to it previously in their book. Um, but Peter goes on to say for instance in, um, in verse 5, God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. See Noah didn't just build a big floating box, he used that time to preach. Can you imagine, no one had seen anything like this, you you realise that when you you look at the dimensions uh, given to us for the ark, it is the biggest vessel ever built until the Titanic and it took a long time. It took a long time to do. And I imagine people would have come up to Noah and gone, what are you doing? And Noah took that opportunity to say, well, God's judgment is coming. You need to repent. And the scripture tells us that it took him 120 years to build this thing. Noah preached for 120 years. That's pretty patient. It also must make him the world's least effective missionary. Because he didn't get one single convert. Not one. I ha- Romans says that we talked about the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience. In Romans 9, it talks about that God bore with great patience us who are really the subjects of his wrath due to sin. I have no doubt that God would have let more people on that ark if they had repented. And God patiently had Noah preach for 120 years to these people and none of them chose to repent. That's God's patience, but I want to finish with our patience. Well, <laughs> you go leave you guys to catch up. This passage reminds us that we need to be patient too. A lot of the early Christian writers uh, talk about patience. Um, you know, we need patience with one another. I mean, let's face it, none of us is perfect. Um, we all have our quirks, our personality issues. You know, we all have the things that uh, uh, that bug one another and we have to be patient with one another. Uh, the early Christian writers Emphasise patience a lot Uh, and back in the early days that was kind of a new idea you know in the ancient Greek world patience really wasn't considered a virtue in our modern world it's considered a virtue Uh, but the apostles in for instance in second Corinthians Paul talks about purity understanding patience and kindness In Colossians, he writes about clothing yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And of course, we're all familiar with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience. But the patience that we maybe have to put up with one another on a a day-to-day basis, that needs to be scaled up to the cosmic scale. God will bring judgment at the day of the Lord. That will happen. The people that we love and care about here are facing that judgment. But he'll do that in his own time. And in the meantime, he doesn't just want us to sit patiently and wait. Okay, Lord, you're coming. Eventually, I'll just sort of sit here and wait. He says, no. He wants us to use that time the same way that Noah used it to preach his righteousness, to bring people to repentance. God is delaying judgment, not because he's lazy, but because he loves people so much that he wants to give us an opportunity to bring them into his kingdom. Now, I just hope that we have a little more success than Noah did. Um, I don't think I'm going to be around for 120 years, uh, but... Uh, I think I've already led more people to the Lord than Noah did. (laughs) So that's a good start. And each of us, that's our task. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to bring people to him, to remind them of what he has said in his word and what that calls us to do, but also to warn us about what's coming in the future. You know, a future that has judgment in it, but a future that has incredible promise. And because God has always been faithful in the past, we know he will be faithful in the future. And that is the message that we have for people while we await his patient return. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and and Lord, we thank you for the the prophets and the apostles and and the people that constantly remind us of what your word says. Lord, like the people that Peter is writing to, we know what it says, Lord. We really don't have an excuse for, for making outrageous claims that we know aren't backed up by Scripture because we know what your word is. Sometimes, though, we forget. Sometimes we find passages of the Scripture a little uncomfortable and we don't like the challenge that they may give us. But Lord, help us not to be people who just want to cut bits out of Scripture that we don't like. Help us, Lord, to be people that cling to your whole Word, people that look at it from beginning to end as truly your Word revealed to us. And Lord, your Word shows that you are a loving and a patient God We know you are holy and you must deal with sin, but you are also loving and patient and that you spent centuries setting up the scene for Christ to come to pay the penalty for us. And we thank you for the love that that demonstrates. And Lord, we now, we're in this period of time when we're looking forward to you coming again. We're looking forward to the completion of the kingdom and none of us knows if it's going to happen in our lifetime, whether it's going to happen next week or whether it's going to happen next century. And you tell us that it's not our place to know. Instead, our place in that time as we wait patiently is to be like Noah, preachers of your righteousness. Lord, people that call people back to your word, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to always trust your word. Even when it seems like it might take too long. Even when we struggle to wait in our, in our natural impatience. Lord, help us to be patient with each other and with you. Lord, help us to be your prophets. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today and extra thanks to those that have donated to us online. It's your generosity that enables us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. If you would also like to support us, visit ybc.church/give. You can also access our website to find out more about our community by visiting yokinebaptist.church or by connecting with us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and God bless.